the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again Starting in June, QC Family Tree families are hitting the road. We're taking folks as close as Cramerton, Salisbury, and Boone, and as far as Folly Beach, Washington, D.C., and Chicago. Our upcoming adventures will include explorations of new places, connection to new people and partners, and learning a lot about history, creation, and each other along the way. Our plans span a lot of miles, and we could use your support. Would you commit to sponsoring a mile for $20? Even better, maybe you could get 20 of your friends to each sponsor a mile for $20. Every little bit helps. Go now to qcfamilytree.org donate and help us get on the road. I've been to Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Mattawa, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tocopilla, Barranquilla, and Padilla, I'm a killer, I've been everywhere, man. From the west side of Charlotte, North Carolina, this is Here for Good. Here for Good! Here for Good! A collection of stories and conversations with the kinfolk. QC Family Tree. 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 Listen in as we seek to awaken the popular imagination to new possibilities of abundance and spark social action for the common good. I'm one of the kinfolk. My name is Helms Gerald. From Emergent Strategy by Adrian Marie Brown. Change is coming. What do we need to imagine as we prepare for it? How do we prepare the children in our lives to be visionary and to love nature even when the changes are frightening and incomprehensible? To be abundant when what we consider valuable is shifting from gold to collard greens? How do we articulate a compelling economic vision to sustain us through the unimaginable, to unite us as things fall apart? How do we experience our beauty and humanity in every condition. In today's episode, we talk with Terry Springer about cultivating a sense of belonging. Terry is a board-certified coach who has worked with clients in the areas of ministry, career direction, and life issues. She has served on the staff of churches in Virginia, Kentucky, and North Carolina, focusing on youth and spiritual formation. Terry is a graduate of Indiana University and Southern Seminary. When she is not coaching or ministering, Terry is an avid reader, traveler, and hiker. Yeah, tell me a little bit about what it means, what the common good means to you. So, um, I just started it, but I love, love, love the book. Mm-hmm. And I really resonate. It's emergent strategy. You told me about it. Um, I resonate with the idea of very small acts and just within your small world making a big difference because things interconnect and combine. So to me, the common good is for me to make sure I'm doing what I need to be doing and not getting overwhelmed by global complexity, Mm -hmm. but to just uh, like be aware and to learn and, and let that affect me personally rather than uh, thinking that it's just beyond me. It's too big. 
Mm. So the idea of making it micro and super small helps you to even consider the possibility of bigger. It's like the universal and the particular. If you focus on the particular, then you have faith that the universal will be impacted. Exactly. I was, um, this is several years ago, I was uh, sitting in a worship service and I had been trying to figure out some of these things, you know, of uh, what needs to change. And I was, I've always believed that God um, is still creating. And so when we do little things that are um, consistent with where God would like things to go, then big things happen. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so I was thinking about rabbits and how, you know, they multiply so quickly. And that, that's kind of, to me, that's God's creation. Is <laughs> these little tiny things we do can multiply beyond what we would ever plan or dream. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the thinking. Mm-hmm. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, when I think of rabbits, I think of, of obviously of fertility, and I don't often think of that as like being divine. But clearly, fertility is a divine metaphor. So, makes sense. yeah, yeah. So, um, as a coach, and also as like youth minister and house church leader, um, you're working around mentoring folks um are they all young people or are they beyond just young folks so the house church ended up being um people my age mostly Uh uh-huh and um i one of the uh newcomers to the church was describing to her young adult daughter what she was doing because you know it was a new a new thing that they were coming to our church and she said it's youth group for old people (laughs) (laughs) and that was like high praise like because it's it's meeting a need in a way that i'm um comfortable that's my my spot and when i first started the part i missed was the working with the young people and now i realize i can do the same thing just with a different different uh generation Mm -hmm. so you said you can do what you do, but just with a different age group. Gotcha, gotcha. So what's the thing you do? Okay, so um, I have learned over the years, like I didn't understand the value of community when I was younger, um, but I was very much um, tuned into making people, making an environment where people felt included and comfortable and not outside. And I realized that is community. So just being sensitive to um, what it is that a particular person, how I can help them to feel a part of the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like your, I mean, you have a lot of gifts, but I felt like your best gift or the way in which I would categorize your ministry would be something about cultivating a sense of belonging 
mm-hmm. and that um, somehow I don't know. I don't. You might know the exact practices that you that you, that get you there, but there's something about your presence, the way in which you interact with folks, the way that you kind of organize your thoughts that always lends to a sense of connectedness. There's rarely, if ever, this moment where it feels like Terry seems resistant. It's more like <laughs> Terry's looking to figure out how to connect and to like pull in and to to make belonging happen. Um, if that's kind of who you are, which I think it is, then like, what are the practices that make for belonging? I'm into the Enneagram right now, mm-hmm. and I'm a nine, a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, I think, uh, it just comes naturally to me to see both sides of an issue and some things like that. But um, another piece of being a nine on the Enneagram is I'm not reactive and that can be a bad thing. Um, But it also has served me well to be able to see what's going on around me and not have it raise my um, stress level or at least not show that it's raising my stress level. And so, um, like I was thinking of group situations, it's really important to me that it's very interactive. Like I really want to hear from everyone and I want everyone else to hear each other's voices. So trying to find ways to help people who are internal processors um, have a chance to speak because they always wait. They always let the external processors speak and nobody is quiet long enough for them to speak up. So just trying to be aware of what's going on with the individuals and how it's impacting the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm an eight. So I'm like the exact <laughs> opposite. Well, in being, we don't have to talk about Enneagram for too long, but like in being an eight, you recognize, you can see in people their immediate sort of shock to the strength or the assertion or whatever that is, the fierceness of the person, my personality at least. And so like I can see people receiving me that way and that makes me sort of like recoil and figure out, okay, how can I, like, what part of this me do I need to hide so that they can receive me? Cause they can't take all of me. I'm too much, you know? And so I get into a place where I feel like I'm just too much for people to be able to handle, you know? <laughs> and so then I'm not all, I'm not often the whole me. I feel like I'm, I'm an authentic person, but I'm always kind of holding back cause I want to protect people from too much me. So your strength. Yeah. Right. Adrian Marie Brown talked about in her book about, well, actually she talks about it, but the first time that I heard about this concept of raising the next generation of ancestors was on a tour that I took in Atlanta. It was some community arts uh, organizations. It was called a Sankofa tour. They were going to different places that either used to exist or currently exist uh, that were doing community engaged art and community building. And they were looking at the past and kind of seeing what people had done in the past and also kind of lamenting the, the departure from, in other words, some of the community organizations had been torn down because of, um, 
urban renewal. And so um, they were lamenting that. And then they were looking to the future and kind of using all of those spaces to talk about what's possible and how can we build community utilizing the arts and expression. And one of the women who was leading the tour said that her aim is to raise the next generation of ancestors. And she's working with young people and thinking of them currently, like it's almost time, time is not um, like a past, present, future, but it's all right now. And so the ancestors from before are, are influencing and speaking to what is happening now. And then the people who are currently here now are the, are the ancestors to come. And so influencing them into a new perspective, into a new paradigm, and also having that be present, but also looking to the future and how that might be able to impact the future. Um, so anyway, that was kind of the the concept, there's been lots of people that talk about like Afrofuturism. The idea is that, and it's an African spiritual concept of that time is not linear. The past is currently here and the future is currently here, which I feel like is a very Christian ideal too. I mean, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the idea that the, um, like the realized eschatology, the kingdom, we are waiting for the kingdom to come. And the kingdom has come all in one right. time. I feel like those concepts all connect to each other. And so in thinking about our work as in ministry, as, I don't know, cultivating a way in which community is hoped for and community is already happening and abundance is like hoped for, but also hope we can point to abundance currently existing um, is something to which I think we're called and we, we understand within our gut, but I don't know that necessarily people have been talking about it in that way in the present time. What is your role when you think about raising the next generation of ancestors? Um, what role have you had? How do you imagine your role to be? Well, one of the wonderful, wonderful things about the world we live in today is people keep the same cell phone number and you can find people with social media. So what has happened for me is I've actually been able to see fruit of things that I did a long time ago, hoping that I was impacting someone's life, like actually, you know, years and years later, be able to see how it's played out. And that's um, been awesome because it, it makes it so that I'm not shooting in the dark. Like mm -hmm. I understand and learn from some of the things I've done in the past. So um, when I've had my best success in ministry, it's working as a team. Like mm -hmm. I'm always better working with others rather than just kind of being the solo practitioner. And so I was um, talking to a former teammate uh, because I knew I was gonna be talking to you. And she, so I tell you some of the things she said about when we were working together and what made a difference. And um, one thing was uh, authenticity, that it was the young people I was working with knew that they were getting the real me and that helped them be the real them. Mm -hmm. And they knew that I was accepting them as they were and not who I wished they were. I think investing in the person and not having an agenda for the person is super important and I've always said that the role of minister is unique if uh, you have a teacher who's an amazing teacher an amazing mentor they're still giving you a grade you don't get a grade from the minister mm -hmm. you know a parent has these 
other responsibilities. Um, a coach, a minister is unique in that we really can meet someone where they are without an agenda and without having it be a transa- transactional relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's not, but that was kind of my goal is, you know, I would have students who really didn't want to be at church, but they were on my list because maybe their parents came to church. And so I would go see them wherever they were. So I feel like there again, the little tiny investment in the person helps them to be just, you know, on one piece that can help them be who God created them to be. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm saying, seeing down the road, you know, I, I have a, a young woman, she's not even that young anymore, but she's, uh, she was in my very first youth group and she's really good with children. So she was like, I'm going to have a daycare someday, which that was great. You know, we would go on these walks and I would talk to her. And so now she is a pediatric pulmonologist. Like she decided to go really a lot further with it. And uh, another one, a student who my, at that point, my church was right across the street from the high school. And it was, um, my office window was ground level. So in the afternoons, I would open the window and as students were coming home from school, walking home from school, they would just stop and talk to me through the window and then sometimes come in. And she was one who would come in often and be so upset because she had spoken her mind to her teacher and her teacher didn't respond well. Now she is um, so outspoken and making such a big difference being an activist, speaking mm-hmm. out for people who don't have a voice. So just the tiny little piece of time that I had with them and opportunity I had to kind of say, I see you mm-hmm. and I appreciate you. Yeah. So does that transfer to your thoughts about parenting? It's been fun. Oh, well, not fun. Fun's not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was so excited when my oldest was going to be in the youth group. Because I was like, I got this, and he gets to see me in action, and this is going to be amazing. Well, it was hard. It was so, so hard. Because even though I was prepared to give him his space in the youth ministry and let him not have a mom, like, like what I told him is when it's to your advantage to have your mom be the youth leader, then I'm your mom. So, like, if we're on a trip and you need money for a Coke, you can come to me and, you know, I'll give you some money. But otherwise, I'm not your mom. Like, you, I'm not going to call you out any more than I would anyone else. But what I realized after a while is he didn't have the other adult in his life that, that I was to the other youth. Mm-hmm. And so I, I mourned that loss for him that he didn't have these kind of mentor adults because I was trying to do both, both roles. But as a parent, I really, I really try to not do what um, I think, oh, that's what's a parent's supposed to do, but try to do what's right for my children. And he, his name's Sherman, when he was about three years old, he, he started teaching me that lesson. It took me a while to absorb it, but he did something I can't even remember. And I, I yelled at him because 
that's what you're supposed to do as a parent. You're supposed to yell at him. Um, and he laughed at me. <laughs> it was like the perfect, the perfect thing because I was like, oh, good, I don't have to yell anymore because that mm-hmm. didn't work. So just learning like to be as authentic with my, my children as I, was, as I am with my youth and not do it the way I think you're supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. I'm not there. I mean, I'm not able to have the discernment, especially in the moment, <laughs> to figure that out. But uh, I, I aim for that at times, I think. I, um, my middle child, um, she's the eight, Harper. She, uh, my oldest two children, they're, um, they were born in Korea. So she came to us when she was six months old, and she came wound tight. Like, she just couldn't relax even as a six month old and so as a toddler like she would you know she would hold on to something just um she wouldn't let go of uh like I want this or whatever and um I kept trying to do it the way you're supposed to you know be consistent and all the all these things you read and then um someone had given me the book wonderful ways to love a child it's a great book and it said, it's okay to just hold them. Hmm. That's okay. You don't have to do all these things that people are telling you to do. And so I started doing that with her. I was just hold her and say, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And the tension just melted. And that's what I wanted to do. I just hadn't given myself permission to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then would she eventually let go? Or did you have yeah. to change your expectation about that too she um she would she would relax so then she could let go Mm -hmm. because what was happening is she couldn't let go because she was um so tight Mm -hmm. and you know it's different you know it it wasn't a one-size-fits-all but Mm -hmm. definitely helped yeah yeah so what other people or uh, communities or organizations do you see that are doing this work of authenticity, like really seeing people and helping them to understand their sense of belonging? Well, the one that um, comes to mind first is QC Family Tree. Uh, <laughs> that's not a laugh. <laughs> I know. It's the only one I could think of. <laughs> No, I because I just I uh, like you all are my um, inspiration, and you are the ones that keep the bar really high for me. Mm. Um, because you are not just talking. Like I see, I hear and see a lot of people who do a lot of talking, but aren't able to then translate it to their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's. That is uh, inspiring. Well, maybe that's a little bit about, so when we did the commentary stuff, and it's like Greg's the intellectual one, and then I'm the practical one, that um, that's not really how we really are, but that is kind of like the steps, you know? Like, you got to talk about it. You have to figure it out a little bit, and also be working it out at the same time. It's kind of like a, it's not just an intellectual problem, but it's like a puzzle that you have to be practically figuring out. And what we've come to think about is that, Maybe we're just like a laboratory 
Like we're not we're not like a padea. Isn't that what that thing's called? The seminar thing. There was a in school there was a seminar experience where you just like sat in a circle and talked about a certain topic. And I I whenever there's like a panel discussion or some kind of oh, I can't even stand really planning meetings because I just don't like I don't mind processing and talking, but I can't stand it if that's where it ends. Right, um, right. And so if there's a lot of processing going on, I get really irritated. I used to be in seminary and just be like always asking the practical application questions, which left me in a place of feeling like I wasn't necessarily the intellectual that I wanted to be or that I wanted to be known for. But I don't really think it's that. I think it's just more that I can't have this thought just remain a thought, um, which is, again, back to the Enneagram, like the eight is a doer. A um, doer. Yeah. And so... I need to, I can't just have an idea. I need to work that idea into being. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's funny because when I was listening to you guys do the commentary thing, what I heard, I didn't hear practical as far Mm. as when I heard you, what I heard was creative. Oh, yeah. Like it just felt like um, you could just see the ideas and thoughts just going. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 So, aside from QC Family Tree, (laughs) is there an organization that you look to that's giving you a sense of hope about cultivating community, cultivating the common good or abundance? I'm going to be totally honest. Um, At this moment in time, I see a lot more organizations that aren't able to do that because they're so... They've just been sucked into, I don't think it's been this way for a long time, but they're so sucked into right, wrong, mm-hmm. black, white, we have to do it this way, or there's no value to it. And I'm just seeing so much of that, that it's it's um, discouraging that uh, the voices of how can we come together, how can we work together, how can we hear each other, are just being drowned out. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, two that I can think of that I want to mention to you. One is called Alternate Roots. It's an organization that's supporting the work of artists who live in the South that are trying to work towards justice in the way in which they are doing their art and the way in which they engage in the world. And I was talking with another person on another interview, and she mentioned the technologies of anti-oppression so she talked about how, not technologies like cell phones and um, podcasts, but uh, more like the, what would we call them in another realm? Like organizational tools um, to get people to start thinking and behaving differently. And so I feel like Alternate Roots is really embodying this idea in that when I went to their um, week-long thing, which is in August in Black Mountain area, Arden, North Carolina. They had these group agreements at the beginning of business meetings. I mean, it's just, it is a nonprofit organization that has a business meeting, but they have group agreements about how they're going to treat one another, about um, how they're going to talk, whether or not they're going to use pronouns, um, the an agreement that they are going to have dance breaks, you know, like all of these <laughs> things that help people to have delight, also help people to think about equity and making sure that the voice, the unheard voices are heard. Um, and so anyway, they are just doing some really amazing work in that area. 
And it's work that I want the people who are really concerned about authenticity and community and belonging to go and to be immersed in their way because I feel like we need to get that into our bodies and they are already exemplifying it very well. But it's not something that I experience in other places. So it's like you have to go there, soak it all up, take it back and go again, soak it all up. And so that's one. The other is that Greg is right now in a cohort and you, and they send daily or weekly updates. And the idea is that each of them is working on a experiment of imagination and they are kind of working out this experiment of imagination over the course of 11 weeks, Zoom calls and peer group meetings online. And then they're meeting together twice physically in Cincinnati. And then the idea is that the idea is not necessarily that the experiment of imagination will come into being completely and perfectly by the end of the 11 weeks, but that they'll have a lot of conversations to move them in that direction. And in the meantime, they're having conversations around abundance, neighborliness, those types of things. The updates that they've been that, that you can sign up for that they'll send to your email have been just super good, like really, really good. Um, and they don't really come from, it's nothing new. I mean, it's just stuff that Walter Brueggemann and Peter Block have already written. It's not like they're producing new content, but I feel like the people who are in the cohort now are going to be doing some really amazing things and I want to follow what they end up doing with it. So what well, sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. So check those out. The other one I can think of that you might be interested in is the Christian Community Development Association, which is an organization of groups of people that are kind of like us or like uh, Jackson in Jackson, Mississippi, the um, John Perkins founded it. And their idea is to relocate, to redistribute, and then to renew a sense of community. What songs or poems or uh, pieces of art inspire you right now? So I'm a book person. So um, when you said that, well, two things. First of all, um, I love to read and any, any kind of media that I take in, I'm looking for connections all the time. So that's fun because I can be watching the most silly thing and make connections. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm going to talk about books if that's okay. Mm -hmm. So I read, um, recently read Just Mercy. I was a little slow to the game on that one, but that was fantastic and I was finishing it up right when the new museum opened mm -hmm. so that that was cool because I had my antenna up paying attention more attention to the the new museum what's it called the one that uh the guy who wrote Just Mercy opened for all the people who were lynched oh gosh I don't even know what the I don't know the is. but anyway that that was a neat uh, where they crossed and then right after that I read uh, Ready Player One do you know that they just made a movie of yeah it? I thought there was a movie that's all I yeah, know is that there's a movie they just made a movie of it and it's about the world of um, the alternate reality of the game world is so much better than real life hmm. that people just spend as much as time as much time as possible in that alternate reality hmm. but then I don't think this is a spoiler by the end of the book the and they're adolescents so I can you know that's kind of my my group they by the end of the book they realize even though the alternate alternate reality gave them a lot it was never 
as much of actually meeting someone and connecting with someone. Hmm. Okay, so they finally figured that out and well, after some consumption. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm watching um, Wild Country on Netflix. What's that? So it's a documentary about the uh, the or the cult that followed the what was the guy's name the uh, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, anyway, it's about a cult that formed in Oregon in the '80s. I had no idea about this whole entire thing, but it was like a big deal. The guy was named Bogwan. That's what his name was. And then he went by Osho, and I think they were like the Rasha. A friend of mine was talking about. She was watching this, and she just, at first, you think, you know what, what what they're doing is a little bit sketch, but at the same time, really interesting. Like, they're trying to build this village of community with one another, and they were doing that in a very interesting and extravagant and sort of resurrection kind of way. They took this ranch and turned it into this lush place where everyone was very happy. And, of course, you know, because you're watching a documentary about a cult, that that's not where it's going to end. But, you know, in that very moment when they're building it and they're, they're really making some strides, I'm like, that's exactly what Greg and I want to be like. <laughs> and so then I look at Greg and I'm like, oh, we might be crazy. Like, oh, goodness. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, um, but then it, it all goes downhill. And... Um, and so at some point when the Bhagwan was uh, kind of being caught up in, the, in in investigation, he got on a plane and was getting ready to leave, and he ended up coming to Charlotte. No and, way. Yeah, and so they, they when he touched down in Charlotte, the whole, like, all the police and the FBI and all, federal people were all at the airport, and they caught him in Charlotte. They had him in in custody in Charlotte for a time, and then they sent him back to wherever he was before Oregon, I think. So, apparently, it, Charlatans, there are Charlatans who, who hopefully still, if I ever find one at the Goodwill, man, there's there's a shirt that says, Bagged the Bogwan on it, that, <laughs> that they sold uptown in Charlotte. Oh, um, my gosh. So, anyway, it's very, very interesting. And, and it, of course, like, now I'm at the point where it's like, what's going to happen next? You know, there have yeah. been so many crazy things that have happened. There are several episodes. I think I'm on like episode six or something like that. But anyway, I've been watching that, which is, you know, like a guilty pleasure. But at the same time, I do see connections. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what um, my friend was, uh, she started watching This Is Us. Oh, yes. And, and so we were talking about that. And then she said, it reminds me of parenthood which mm-hmm. I had never seen Parenthood, so I'm going back and watching oh, that. Oh, I love and, uh, Parenthood. There's just so much that, mm-hmm. like, you, depending on, you know, where my mind is that day, depends on the connections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I feel bad for Greg, because he hates that I watch television and doesn't watch television much his, himself. And But then there will be things that come up in life, and I'll be like, that's just like Stars Hollow, which is from Gilmore Girls, <laughs> or... Um, like the parenthood family table that they have with the, with the oh yeah right so I I mean I think of that often and wonder like where are we gonna make this family table and it's gonna be huge and everybody can sit there you know and in fact recently we um, we worked with someone to do a storytelling story sharing grant and she was gonna come and do this story sharing at community meals so I was like well let's just see right into the grant and see if we can get some picnic tables 
And she did. And so I'm nice. like, so now like everybody, I'm going to just like print out a picture of Parenthood and be like, you see this? <laughs> exactly. This is what we're aiming for. We're going in this direction. <laughs> but I'm excited about that. That'll be fun. But yeah, I mean, oftentimes, well, I mean, narrative is this mysterious thing that helps us to make connections when it doesn't seem that there should be connections made. So I think it makes sense. And they're sense. all different. Oh, right, right. And you could watch uh, or read or whatever, experience something 10 years ago and have this specific connection that you carry with you for a while. And then you could watch or read or experience that thing again and have a completely different uh, connection. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's abundance. Yeah. Good stuff. We have, I mean, I feel like we've covered a lot of things in this idea of belonging and authenticity is something that people are longing for and mm-hmm. and people want. I did want. think of one thing. Yeah. Uh, along the lines of belonging and authenticity. Um, the, I told you that uh, I started the community group because I knew that the, some people were um, between churches and that, wasn't, that need wasn't going to be met until they figured out where they were going to land. And one thing that was very important to me is that it all be around a meal. Mm-hmm. So our, um, and, and it was important to me that it not be potluck because it just so happened that the people that I started with as far as this community group were all people who had volunteered uh, with me in youth ministry and I wanted to kind of give back to them and, and um, give them the gift of, of the meal. And it's just, I mean, we know, you and I and probably everyone listening knows the power of, of breaking bread together, but it's, it's really um, something that I don't think people um, have elevated. I th- you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you know it's there and you know it's important, but it's more important to have a meeting or it's more, there are so many other things that are more important in, in how we live out our lives. And I, I think if we, what we are talking about with the um, not being so divisive, if we would just sit down and eat with each other, like mm-hmm. it would be an amazing first step. Yeah. Like sharing a meal at a table is not secondary. It's essential. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, I think that's really important. Thanks for listening to Here for Good. Here for Good! Here for Good! Sponsored by QC Family Tree. 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 Here for Good! I was going to say, I don't want to say it.